0: The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. And welcome to season four of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season we'll be focusing on tech and innovation within the retail sector. We'll be talking to retailers who are utilising new and transformative technologies to support their business, as well as deep dive into the stories of startups who are taking the lead on retail innovation. Joining me on Retail Therapy today are Andrea Calligan and Melissa Dean, who are both partners at Deloitte. Andrea is the Innovation Ventures and Ecosystems Lead for Sustainability and Climate. She has a diverse business background in the tech, innovation and startup space across Australia and Canada. Melissa, meanwhile, is the National Retail, Wholesale and Distribution Sector Lead. She's an entrepreneur with over 20 years' experience in digital transformation. Well, that's a long, lot of time. Melissa, I'll look forward to discussing that with you and the integrated customer experience and technology. Both are incredible women who are helping to shape the future of business, and I'm delighted to have them both in studio today. Andrea, Melissa, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks, Paul.
1: Andrew, first to you, tell us a bit about your career journey and how you've grown and developed into the role at Deloitte, which focuses on sustainability, climate, as well as tech and innovation
0: it's a bit of a wild and wonderful journey. So thanks so much for asking. Uh, As you probably notice, I have an accent, as does my fellow colleague, Mel. We're both Canadian, which I was delighted that we were both invited to join this podcast. Why why do Canadians always have to clarify that they're
1: not (laughs) from the US?
0: I have to say it wasn't generally as impactful as it was, say, two years ago uh, or three years (laughs) ago in the middle of an election. uh, That was very, very pertinent. Uh, now it's not so bad. But I originally arrived in Australia in 1998. And uh, my father's Australian so I had dual citizenship and I traveled around the country for a couple of years but ended up in Sydney in uh, mid to late 2000 right in this height of the dot-com boom and really took advantage of that and so ended up being part of the team that founded the first ever one of the first ever free email services here oh, in Australia. Amazing. Which,
1: um, that, now so you- if we've got email to thank you for <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> Do you know what Paul that's just told your age right? Because- no
1: well you know I've got a story <laughs> with email which I'll save for later but I'm, like, I'm not sure We should thank you for introducing email, (laughs) free email. Well,
0: free email in particular, because most people, you know, when I go to universities and have conversations about entrepreneurship and I say, yeah, I was part of the team that founded the first ever free email service. They have this crickets and blank stares in the room. (laughs) So anyone that's over 35 will understand how impactful that was. That was such a big deal. At
2: least least you didn't invent the fax machine. No, no,
0: (laughs) that that would definitely be embarrassing. Anyways, long story short. So from there on, I got a huge entrepreneurial journey bug and started another six businesses across Australia, Canada, I had operations in the US as well as Europe. And I had the full gambit of entrepreneurship. So um, I had the humbling pleasure of winning the Telstra Young Businesswoman of the Year in 2009, the Telstra Small Business of the Year in 2009, was on all the BRW lists, had a couple of exits, did a couple of acquisitions, and, you know, had this awesome experience, but also had the full, uh, you know, roller coaster of entrepreneurship. So also had a business partner buyout that went pretty tricky, um, had a, a bunch of experiences such as lawsuits, um, wow. you know, all kinds of fun stuff, and eventually um, had one of my businesses go into voluntary administration. And and I, I will share, you know, later on today, in this conversation as to why that was, but um, that really gave me an opportunity to take a couple of years out, and so I did. So I traveled around the world for a couple of years and um, had some fun living in ashrams and you know, going yes. to, to Burning Man a couple of times and uh, singing in bars in Nashville and, and having a really great experience. And then I knew I wanted to have a huge scale of impact on things that really, really mattered. And I was invited to join Deloitte as a partner to really lead the innovation and venture capability for Australia to really solve huge scale impactful challenges and of course climate sustainability and emerging technology are critical to that Absolutely. and it covers across multi-sectors and has huge impact so i love that i've had this very kind of scrappy pragmatic background <laughs> that's got the highs and lows and then i've coupled that now with a world-class team and i lead now on a global level around emerging tech so we'll, we'll have to get really you back
1: excited. for a special podcast on the lawsuits because <laughs> i think that'd be really interesting listening. i don't i don't
0: want to talk about it again. <laughs> no, I'm sure, i'll start I'm sure. twitching all over yeah.
1: Well, well, look, that's an amazing uh, time. So how long have you been at at Deloitte for? Uh,
0: Almost four years now. Not a long time, but a huge amount of impact and opportunity in that time.
1: Of course, of course. Now, let's turn to your fellow Canadian. Now, Melissa, is it true that if you tell an Australian that they're from New Zealand, is that the same thing as telling a Canadian they're from (laughs) America?
2: Well, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure, but I always like to introduce myself as a Kenazi. So I'm a Canadian Australian <laughs> now. So and I, I love the fact since joining Deloitte, I've met so many other Canadians, which has been fantastic. So it's 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 great to to not only work with some some amazing fellow Canadians, which we can we can share a love of geography and people actually know where I'm from but also um, some really strong female talent that we have in the organisation, which has been fantastic. So I share a lot of uh, similar stories to Andrea. So, so when we met, it was it, we, we shared a lot of war stories going back uh, in the thick of it, yes, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Now we're seeing lots of innovation in the retail space in terms of how people shop and the way businesses interact with customers. Melissa, what are some of the most exciting things we're seeing in retail innovation and how are you assisting businesses to embrace new ideas and technology?
2: Yeah, absolutely, Paul. So we're seeing a lot of um, technology really infused in the retail space, especially in the last year with uh, the influx of, you know, Amazon and, uh, Alibaba and all of that coming really having a, a supercharge of e-commerce within Australia. Um, a lot of retailers now with stores being back open have really invested in technology and customer experience. So how do you get those customers back in store and bring back the joy and magic of shopping? Yes. It's something that customers have really wanted uh, to see, not only in store, but also making that, that experience seamless. So whatever that they're doing you know, from their living room couch, they're also getting that unique experience when they go in store, but making it seamless and something that they can really opt into whether or not they want a seamless checkout experience or they want to interact with someone in store to get a product recommendation. Um, We're seeing a lot of uh, improvement in the omnipresence experience between online and offline. So definitely um, excited about the new technology and the advancements in the customer space. And and I I don't doubt that a lot of retailers are really going to benefit that in in the coming year.
1: And and, uh, I guess with that too, Melissa, when you think about it too, a lot of retailers did see digital as being such a disruptor and problematic and they didn't understand. And I think that whole mindset's change. And I think COVID's got a lot to thank. We've got a lot to thank for that. Do you, do you agree with that statement?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm seeing a lot of retailers um, seem to be balancing their focus between In-store and online experiences with digital and omni-channel and store format and footfall scoring uh, a lot higher than it did um, respectively um, in years prior. So we're definitely seeing that balance and the importance of um, you know giving customers the choice to choose where they want to shop, when they want to shop, and also having different formats and different experiences for so many different customers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Andrea, what about the role of technology in addressing climate challenges? How are you assisting? is in that regard.
0: So climate's an interesting bucket because we generally don't look at a series of sectors or industries. We actually look at a series of systems because when you're looking at how you reduce emissions, it actually impacts multi-sectors. What you're doing to solve some of the agricultural scenarios will also have impact on energy or resources or industrial products. So it was interesting to then take that lens of an issue such as climate sustainability and then think about what is the technology that is impacting uh, not just retail, not just consumer products, but also everything outside of that. And when I think about some of the biggest impact, I mean, uh, Mel's just referred to one around omni-channel. And if I think about how you utilize digital data in order to really engage your customer and then how you also tell that story, that's what we're seeing from an omni-channel perspective or using uh, in-store and online, but supply chain and the, um, the technological challenges and benefits that are coming from climate and uh, and supply chain. And most people think Uh, supply chain uh, resilience, or how do you make sure supply chain resilience is in place. And this occurred a lot through COVID, when you couldn't get products in, or you couldn't get products out, or you couldn't get the right type of things in order to really enable a customer experience or a product line. And so the initial thought is, oh, well, how do I make sure that I get the right products in? But if you overlay that with a green lens or a climate lens, you actually create not just a net zero position, but a resilient lens. And there's lots of great examples around this, like Walmart has been doing this um, already where they're looking at how they uh, create an ecosystem to support their supply chain. And they're looking at all the different providers that are around them and how they give them the right financing through their partners with HSBC in order to uh, use different technologies to decarbonize their businesses so they can have more manufacturing and more development onshore and they start to really build in the benefit of that supply chain resilience. And so when I'm speaking to retailers, I really want the consideration to not just be around cost, but also cost-benefit. And the reason I get really excited about climate sustainability is that it is the green economy. Like there's a trillion dollars worth of benefit here in Australia alone if we really, really enable the technology and the capability around the green economy by 2070. If we don't, we lose a ton of money and lots of jobs. So, you know, thinking about supply chain and all the different technological environments that come with it, And then as part of that, there's a circular environment, right? And this is also coupled with customer behavior. And we know that customer behavior is shifting and the expectations of customers are shifting. They want to see that organizations are focusing on a greener environment and that they're focusing on the social governance of their businesses. And that's where ecosystems can come into play. And we've seen some examples like the Iconic and Aerobe. And then there's others around the world where they're using waste management and they're um, enabling and empowering different people people in, in more impoverished regions to uh, you know be the waste pickers in those areas and create micro-entrepreneurial opportunities around them as well. So it's it's really exciting to see the benefits of supply chain and then circularity and then the technology that comes through that in order to enable and empower. Um, and, but then in the most basic roots, how are we helping our customers know that story mm. through our omni-channel experience and through digital as well as in-store? And some, you'll see a lot of those brands are starting to tell that story now. Yes. and and customers are starting to expect it. They want to know where things come from. They want to know if you've used slave trade to get things there and then they're really making their decisions on with their dollars. So um, that all
1: filters through. It all works hand in hand. So do you see COVID potentially being a reset for many of us in actually rethinking and testing through how volatile or, or guess how vulnerable we've been when you think about and, and the pandemic actually sort of made us rethink everything from end to end a supply chain perspective?
0: I mean, 100%. We live on an island, Mm. Paul. Yes, we do. We we are on this little island in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) And so many things are impacting us. COVID was obviously a huge impact for us around supply chain, and our dependencies on a number of different nations. But then we looked at the climate benefit and um, the the, the negative effects that have occurred to Australia. So we are getting this huge impact of others' emissions. Um, And through COVID, you could see these reductions. You Sydney Harbour was the cleanest it had been. And however long. So it really resets people's expectations and opinions of what is possible because they could see what was possible, but it took this huge pandemic and challenge for it to occur. Now, I'm not saying that it was easy. I worked with a lot of retailers through COVID and it was so hard when you perhaps didn't have a digital experience and you were beholden to a a lockdown where people couldn't go into a shopping center um, or you didn't have the ability to uh, sell to a number of customers or you couldn't get your products in. But hopefully for those that are, are, are have been resilient and are able to really continue the, the, the trend, we see the opportunity to really reset and bring in all of these elements that we know our customers are now expecting as well.
1: Absolutely. Let's just sort of unpack that a little bit further. A lot of our major retailers have dedicated teams focused on sustainability and climate. So they do have the resources to invest in solutions. But what about small businesses who are on tighter margins, are worried about costs? How are we ensuring that they're not left behind?
0: It's, it's not an easy question, but I would suggest that your customers are going to expect that for you, from right. you. So I, I love this line that I read the other day, is that about 300 million tons of plastic is produced every year, right? Now, that's the equivalent to the weight of the entire human population. Wow. Now, we've all put on at least 10 kilos over <laughs> COVID, so increase that by another 0.2%, yes. right? so. For me it's helping you know what are organizations thinking about when they're buying in order to serve their customers and how are they thinking about the the way that it's getting there and we do have alternatives we have different businesses we do have the ability to tap into those different environments in order for them to have a greener footprint yes but then also thinking they don't have to do it themselves no Right, so I think this is the...
1: the There's so many resources. So many resources, Absolutely. right.
0: But not only that, this whole ecosystem of different innovators that are trying to solve this problem in a profit and not-for-profit yes. way. So finding the the part of the channel that you're perhaps struggling with in order to really think about in a green way. And what are some of the players in the ecosystem that can help you achieve that versus you do it yourself? It, we have to move too fast for yeah. everyone to build it themselves. Long gone are the days of building it from scratch in yes. order to deliver so how is the ecosystem coming together for for each individual organization to really bring that to life?
1: Now, you raised some really good points. And, and you just reminded me, those that are listening to this podcast that are in small business, we have created a resource center for, on retail.org.au, the Australian Retailers Association, under sustainability. And you can see all the, uh, as we add to those resources, but we are partnering with with the likes of uh, organizations like Greener that are specifically looking at ways to solve for small business, um, particularly on the issues that they're dealing with. Uh, and to To give them, I guess, to give you a a, a toolkit to help you work through the sustainability, navigate your way through what shouldn't be complex, but has becoming more and more complex. Now, at Deloitte, you can draw on the insights from a global team. And I guess, Melissa, I'm keen to hear about some of the trends you're seeing in overseas markets when it comes to retail in general. And are Are there things that Australian business should be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, there's so many trends that are happening all over um, the world, which are are fascinating. I mean, Andrea drew drew on a a really important one, which was around strategic partnerships. So I think the sentiment that you don't have to do it alone. So a lot of big brands are now partnering uh, with areas where they know that they can't grow as fast and they're not experts in that space. So they're doing that really cleverly. Um, I think the other trend that we're seeing as well as automation. So in order to reduce costs, businesses are also turning to automation to control rising costs and secure supply chains. So that's a, a, a massive trend that's you know might require a cash investment up front, but it's definitely showing the proven returns in, in the long run. I think also, um, you know, we finally come of age in terms of sustainability, not just being a thing that people latch onto and yes. that consumers actually talk about. Consumers are actually wanting Wanting to track their impact of where products are made. And so that's becoming extremely important in terms of where brands and clients are investing, in terms of where the products are made and where they're distributed, and actually being able to follow and manage those supply chains around the world. That's becoming incredibly more important on a a day to day basis. And also, even in terms of um, shipping, you know, so, you know, now in terms of putting the power back into the control of the customer, is allowing them to be in control of their shipping times. So instead of it used to be, you know, one shipping time, which would be, you know, back in the day, it would say, you know, 10 to 10 to 12 days. And then during COVID, it would arrive, you know, a month to two to three months later. Now there's those options that customers can actually choose. And so there are um, becoming, uh, very familiar with, with being able to pay a premium to expedite shipping and get it there on time when they want. Mm. So, so a lot of, a lot of amazing trends and a lot of brands really kind of going out, um, and above. Um, the final trend I just want to talk on, which, which Andrea touched on is circularity. So circularity is on a fantastic growth trajectory, especially around secondhand clothing and it's the, um, the sector that's expected to grow faster than fast fashion. So we're seeing that a lot overseas with pop-up shops and stores um, selling premium brands that are you know, pre-loved, pre-used, and selling them at a premium cost. So th- those are the brands that are really kind of tapping into that. And so the term vintage is becoming uh, a term that is um, de- redefined uh, across um, different generations. And people are really wanting to invest in not only clothing, but also into furniture and housing. Housing and that eclectic taste is, is something that they're they're definitely seeing across the board.
1: Yeah, and the pleasing trend for those retailers that can actually uh, accommodate that. I, in fact, I was actually in London earlier this year at Selfridges, and I noticed they've set up, you know, a shop within a shop that actually was uh, second selling secondhand uh, Fashion and uh, furniture, and I would never have expected to see that in the salvages store. So it just goes to show department stores have always led the way on these trends, and uh, we're seeing more and more of that. Obviously, renting that's happening in department stores here as well uh, as an option for people buying fashion as opposed to buying. So, um, renting versus buying. See yourself boosting your business, stack them over there. With 200,000 membership rewards bonus points plus a $500 credit. Perfect. It's possible with the American Express Platinum Business Card. To discover more, search Platinum Business today. Minimum spend $12,000 in the first three months. Offer ends 4th of April 2023. New Amex card members only. T's and C's apply. So you both have actually worked in the tech start startup space and I want to start or um, come back to you, Andrea. Do you see them playing an important role in terms of partnering and collaborating with established retailers? Do you have any good examples?
0: So from a – and just I want to talk about that circularity pace for just a quick second. Go for because it. the other thing I think is really interesting is a, is a trend around circularity is if you are just using social media on a daily basis, you can see all the Facebook groups on the swap and yes. sale of particular brands. And um, I was so excited the other day. I went to a um, secondhand Luxe uh, store and uh, there was a Dolce & Gabbana jacket. And I <laughs> and was it's like, it's the only way – I love how you just said <laughs> that I fitted you. Um,
1: no, no, well, is it was your size that's always usually the option. Um, <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. But it was so exciting Grab that it. I could buy this jacket. It was in my price point, whereas oh, you know, you generally yes, that's yes. a little bit outside of the spectrum. I didn't mean of, of the choice. size to be a disparaging sure, Yeah, There <laughs> yeah. we go.
1: <laughs> you, know, you know, when you find something you, you'd totally love, that actually happens to be your size. Of course, in a, in yes. a secondhand situation, you don't have the full size and color combination. So yeah. to find something that fits you. That's amazing.
0: I know. And how exciting though, that when you do find something in your size that you finally get this almost reorigination of yes. it again, right? And so I think displaying these items is actually really important. Yeah. So if you are a retailer and you're looking at it, um, you think about the Patagonia brand where they have their own repair uh, environment within their store. And then of course, there's different retailers, these you know, high-end consignment stores. Yes. The way that they display the store is just like a beautiful retail store. And that's this really, really fast growing area that's happening around textiles, of course.
1: So watch out Salvation Army. Um, You've got some competition for a change. Well,
0: and if you look, even their brand strategy is shifting and the way that they're positioning themselves Mm. and their storefronts, if you've gone past any of the Vinny's or Salvo's storefronts lately, are actually quite sexy, which you would not have expected. A year ago, it would have been more just like purpose-driven, whereas now they're actually uh, merchandising (laughs) things. And if you follow the (laughs) Instagrams, it's brilliant. I've been watching all these uh, different circularity... um, instagrams and watching the way that they merchandise things and it's just brilliant i love that they're bringing these things back to life it's
1: such a great change of consumer mindset because i think we're going back to the day where we sort of felt privileged if something was handed down from a generation particularly if there's something that's an investment piece but um so we're sort of seeing that mindset return where people are saying well i've saved something from landfill and i've actually bought something that was pre-loved and it's you know i've got that responsibility of taking care of that item to be hopefully passed on to the next generation
0: uh, slightly different, but very interesting. If we think about the future and what I- what we will be doing, is that we will not own things for the whole life of the product, right? So, um, rarely do we own a car for twenty years. Rarely do we own a phone for the whole life of its journey. It's pretty rare that you see anyone with uh, you know more right than before. a four year old phone. So. When we think about other sectors like um, mining companies and different battery type of companies, they're trying to reestablish their models, their business models in different ways because they need that product back in order to resell it to you for your next phone. So if if we think about the gig economy where nobody really owns anything for the full life of its entire cycle – that application will come through a whole series of different industries, and of course, textiles and clothing is one of them. Mm. Where you know, is there an opportunity to look at a business model where we don't own it for the whole of the life of the of the clothing? And so then, how do the sh- how do the retailers think about that? Yeah. And how do they think about how they sell the product, own the product, and own the whole value chain and the whole life cycle of that product? It's really interesting how these different sectors are playing out because we don't own it for the whole life and. It just shifts the way that we can purchase, but also the way that we can sell.
1: Very, very good point. Um, and I'm going to come back to the original question. I've really enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> you you, you we digressed. got distracted. Sorry. No, digress, <laughs> but really important points that you make there, Andrea. And I guess, um, you know, I'll come back to my uh, question, which was really around um, your time in the tech startup space, because this conversation is really, really powerful. Like, do you see them playing an important role in terms of partnering and collaborating with established retailers? Uh, and do you have any good examples
0: yeah it's it's a really good question and you know, we absolutely desperately need to invest in our startup and innovation community. And I won't labor on about where we sit on the OECD with regards to innovation um, based on the rest of the world. However, we are charging through and there's a number of areas um, where we are. Um, in order for new innovation to be able to thrive, though, it has to partner with industry almost always. And in fact, there's rarely when there's a big burning platform, there's rarely a problem for capital to be invested into those businesses. The biggest is is commercialization. And the only way they can really, really thrive through commercialization is by connecting it to a big business or selling to a big business. And so, I mean, the iconic and Aerob is, is a simple example, but there's other examples um, like Lucro, which is an Indian startup. Right. They're empowering these local waste pickers to be able to collect plastic, but then they have the whole value chain around segregating, recycling, and making final packaging for brands. So partnering with retailers yes. or using those products is a way of Looking at those particular ecosystems, um, and then of course I shared earlier the Walmart example where they've got Project Gigaton. Uh, Giga, Gigaton, Gigaton. Mm. I think that's that's the word. Um, where they're really trying to reduce these carbon emissions, and how are they doing that through all of their uh, their retail value chain? And what are they that they're working with HSBC to finance the technology that those businesses need in order to decarbonize, which is things like solar panels in some instances, um, electrification of some of the vehicles or transport and logistics trucks, or how they ship things in instead of short it could be a longer term um shipping cycles and then i love uh, that it's a Deloitian. that's what we call uh, people who've been at deloitte um, who started a business called recycle smart and they work with local councils and they collect stuff straight from the door-to-door of the individual who wants to um, recycle things or get rid of things that are possibly able to be repurposed and then they work with different retails to be able to resell repurpose redevelop and of course h&m um they've got their conscious clothing but um you know, if I look at the Recycle Smart and all these additional t- type of technologies or opportunities where technology and startups are either playing in an ecosystem way or connecting in order to, to solve a sustainability issue,
1: those are just yeah, a couple yeah. of examples. Well, there's some great examples there. And, and just turn to yourself there, Melissa, uh, an that you might want to, to raise. Out of the tech startup space, seeing how they play an important role in terms of partnering, collaborating with, with retailers –
2: yeah, I would, I would say, I mean, one call out um, I would recommend to a lot of retailers. So back in the day, and that was probably over, over, a, over a decade ago when I was um, similar to Andrea in the startup space, um, is attending some of the amazing uh, startup conferences that are out there where you have these incredible dragon dens of um, companies that are just starting up new innovative products and services um, and that are first mover advantage, you know, um, have first our advantages um, that are really cutting through in the space, especially amongst uh, innovation. The other thing I'd look out for is the quiet achievers. So being a female founder myself, um, I do, um, or I would like to see more investment in the female founder space. There's some really clever, smart, um, amazing women out there that are building these incredible companies and ideas and stuff, and and they might not have the the funding to scale. And so they just need the right partnership and the right mentorship to, to really accelerate that. That. um so and similar to a lot of the companies that are already doing and doing it very well um, that andrew mentioned i think um, continuing to follow um different uh uh startups and podcasts and and different people that are out there you know sproking sproking these ideas yeah. I, I think is is a good start
1: well, the tech industry um is on a powerful trajectory in, in australia the government has a goal of 1.2 million tech jobs by 2030 which is phenomenal What do you see as the key opportunities for our innovation agenda in Australia? I'll come back to you with this, Andrea, first, because – and I guess what are the challenges that stand in the way?
0: It's a very huge question. Mm.
1: Um, (laughs) Give give Melissa some time to think.
0: (laughs) I love love how you've thrown that to me first. so Australia has a number of opportunities for pockets. But if I think about some of our biggest areas, it's around infrastructure um, and also future future commodities. So, uh, you know, we're a, a resource heavy country where we mine nickel and uh, iron ore and copper and um, all of these things are actually required for future. And so there's a lot of investment and in, in, in innovation that's required and has an opportunity for Australia to really focus in on. And the reason why I say that is a primary area is that Australia is still a very small market. So if you're a tech business and you're thinking about how you want to scale, Australia is my favorite beta ground because it's also the most difficult. If you have... Um, 10% of the market here, uh, you know, you're lucky because it's such a competitive environment. Yes. Unlike you go to the States, you get 1%, you're like, sweet, I'm still sitting on like a $10 million business. So, you know, thinking about whatever the technology is, where is it going to be? Um, imported and used as sovereign capability so also space technology is another area that we're really investing in earth observation satellite technology is another um technology that's really uh, being manufactured here and we have an opportunity to look at how we use advanced manufacturing and smaller satellites but i'll I'll labor on that point another day um but if we are thinking about retail technology we are thinking about supply chain technology we're also thinking about um not just Australia. So it has yes. to be applicable globally.
1: Globally. It's a really, really good point. Yeah, it's a really good point.
0: Otherwise, it's just not…
1: Which it's, is not big enough.
0: It's not big no, enough, unfortunately, much. right? So if we are thinking about where we want to make the most amount of investment, I see us having pockets of deep technology mm-hmm. opportunities. FinTech's a great area. Australia's really led the charge in a number of the fi- areas within the financial sector um, and, and marketing and some of those… To, but we have I've got a history
1: of innovation, which oh, is odd, because when you think 100%. about the innovations that come out of the country, Wi-Fi is a good example of that, Wi-Fi was an Australian invention. Like no, not many people know that. It's part of what I'm Actually invented here. Yeah, um, and there's many things in in the way of. Um, uh in medical science, that actually has been invented in Australia, so there's a there's a lot to be hopeful for. We just, you know, I think partly just it, it comes down to sometimes government policy and around actually where we want to see the growth from, uh, and we'll save that for another day. But um, you know, it, it it is it sort of works hand in hand, but but equally there's uh, we don't want to squash innovation in this country, and there's got to be ways to encourage it a little bit further. And I think government does have have a part to play at that.
0: It absolutely does, and I you know I know uh, in working with A number of the initiatives with New South Wales government, there is the intention to support those environments. But I come back to my initial point, which is capital is generally not the problem if you're solving the right problem. The challenge is connecting it to industry and commercialising it. And... I love this country for so many reasons, but failure mindset is not generally an appetizing approach in, no. in Australia.
1: Do you think it's because of the size of the country that we're small and we don't – would we've got nowhere to go when things go wrong? <laughs> well,
0: probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: There is it's no other like, island like to US. ship us no, to. No, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think it comes back to the tall poppy syndrome. Yep. Tall Fair poppy
1: syndrome
2: and,
0: and just appetite for failure.
1: Mel, I'll be interested in your view here.
2: Yeah, my, my take on this is probably, I think that there is a massive opportunity in merging a couple industries. So when you think about retail and health and a key trend we are seeing in Australia and globally is virtual health. So I'd be, I'd be really curious to see what we are doing. In the healthcare, the retail and healthcare side of things to enhance that customer experience. What you see overseas, especially in the grocery side of things is a lot of grocery merging with pharmaceutical. And so driving that kind of continuous, connected, coordinated care across digital and telecommunication technologies. And so virtual health, I think is an area where we really need to invest because we know that by 20, 40 healthcare workers will de- need to deliver, you know, four times the activity compared to today because of our growing aging population. And I definitely think that there is opportunity for retail, especially in Australia, to capitalize on that and to merge with other industries um, to really enhance the customer experience. But improving on, you know, that everyday population health and health equity and equality and providing better healthcare. Uh, for everyone and doing that with a, a, a fast-moving retail brand um, would be
1: would be really clever. Uh, you raise some good points. So I'm going to have to ask you a little bit about um, Canada. We're we slightly going <laughs> off topic here. But but, some um, travel tips or I've something? got two Canadians in front of me so <laughs> I've got to ask this question. There are a lot of similarities in our markets. Yeah, we are. Because yeah, when definitely. I think about it, we're both part of the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. We're both geographically widespread.
0: Yep. You've got a financial um, sector small, on small, one side, yep. a mining sector on the, the other. other. Small yep. population. Yeah. Yep.
1: <laughs> And yep. you know, very highly competitive, uh, and, gold no and appetite horseshoe for, for, for on the either. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So, so, a lot of alignment. There
1: is a lot of alignment, isn't there? So, I'm not just imagining this. There's a lot of similarities. Um,
0: <laughs> no, there is, but I don't know about you, Mel, and maybe, uh, maybe this is different for you. But I find Canadians always go back. Um, very rarely do they stay and gosh, I mean, I know why I love Canada and it's so beautiful. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely get homesick and, and determined to live half the year there and half the year here, but, um, most Canadians go back.
1: Yeah. Okay. it's a beautiful yeah. <laughs> Good luck with your, your your hope that you might get half and half, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming you're going to go summer season in both locations. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, um, Definitely.
1: Andrea and Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on Retail Therapy. Congratulations on all the work you're doing at Deloitte. You're a valued strategic partner for us at the ARA, and thank you both and all the very best for the future.
2: Thank you for having us. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Therapy, brought to you by our seasoned partner, American Express. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give the show a follow on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of episodes on our website. We've covered leadership, small business, and sustainability. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook wherever you love to connect all the links can be found in the show notes